Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. And I'm Joel Whipperforth, Director of Digital Transformations for Winfield United. So today, Joel and I are going to cover the tools that are available for farmers who are managing newly acquired acres. So Joel, when a farmer is looking at a new field or new piece of ground that he can potentially farm, what are some of the uh, tools that he can use to uh, maybe become more familiar with the fields? You know, maybe some of the detective work that can be done across those acres um, to make management decisions in the first few years. You know, before you even get to, you know, actually having a new opportunity, you've, you've probably made some assessments as to what that crop's potential is on that farm, which allowed you to figure out how much rent uh, you might actually want to pay for that. Or maybe you bought the farm and, and you know, you'd driven by it for the last 15 years and maybe done a little road scouting, maybe even dove in a row or two off the headland to figure out, you know, what some of the yields are on it. So you maybe have some baseline understandings of, of some of the fields. But I think oftentimes, you know, the road scouting view that you've had is, is about where your knowledge of the field ends. And this is where, you know, technology like the R7 tool really has a strong suit. And the R7 tool is a combination of satellite imagery and answer plot data. And I think that's where we've got the big opportunity to unlock the potential of these new acres. Because prior to that, it was really about getting a, a three to five year history of yield data and experience on the farm before you could really start farming it. So I, I, there's probably, you know, you're probably not going to make a huge investment in tile the second you get it, unless you know it's really wet. But at bare minimum, the first place we can look is, let's look at some, some historical satellite imagery. So so I think you're right in saying that, hey, there's, there's maybe some knowns before you plan on farming something, but it's a little bit more in depth than just going, hey, web soil survey, what's my crop productivity index? I mean, I think there's a lot more uh, availability to information that some of these tools can offer. Um, for one example, I mean, so I go back to a lot of the times, maybe you're farming, a, you're farming a new piece of ground. You don't know what that variability is. Yeah, you know there's a slope or a side hill or a, a low spot, but how much truly does it vary? And uh, going back, you'd say, okay, well, we got to farm this thing for three to five years, just get yield that off of it, see what actually happens given the differences in weather, and then we'll make a decision of how variable it truly is under new management. I think what you can do with uh, in-season imagery um, out of the R7 tool is you can go in and pick two dry years, two wet years, or whatever you want, go in and look, okay, here's where some of the variability is in a wet year, here's where it is in a dry year. Maybe they correlate or correspond, or maybe they're completely opposite. Now you can almost feet first right into doing variable rate across that acre the first year you farm it, whether that's variable rate seed or fertilizer or whatever it may be, just by looking at earlier production years um, using a satellite image. Yeah. Even in assessing yield, I've got a, a piece of ground uh, that when I first moved to that that farm, John, I, I needed to rent it out. I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have any equipment, so I needed to rent it out. And I asked the, the local farmer who was thinking about renting, and I said, well, what do you think it can do for yield? He goes, well, you know, your piece has been rented for years. It's probably got no fertility whatsoever. My field does 60 bushel beans. Your field, probably only 45 bushel beans. 
So the first place was, is, you know, establishing what my fertility levels were. That that was one of the things that I, and I maybe didn't have a big window there because I kind of bought it in spring, but I at least needed to get some assessment of what the fertility was before I before I made a lot of big investment decisions. Uh, otherwise, you, you know, I, I'm just kind of stuck doing a, a base rate of fertility for the potential of what that crop is. But one of the things I did, I started with a soil sample and uh, then was able to take that soil sample and go in and correct what was in field forecasting tool from the soil sergo information. And field forecasting tool actually was able to give me a pretty good yield estimate of, of the range of yield that that field was capable. And so all of a sudden, that was a number I could work from a crop potential, just starting off never having seen that field uh, the year prior. So was it 45 bushel or 60 bushel? You know, actually, it was closer to 60 bushel. It was it was a well-drained uh, prairie silt loam soil. What it turned out on the soil test was it had a neutral pH, you know, so I, it, I didn't mm-hmm. need lime, so I had a 7 pH, phosphorus values in the 55 parts per million, and K values 175. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm going, well, I don't know, for a piece that had been rented for 20 years, it's not in bad shape, right? So the next piece was, okay, so I've, I've got my base rate of, uh, you know, I understand a little bit about yield. I understand a little bit about fertility, um, but it's planting time, you know, and one of the things I didn't very well understand is the variability across that farm. Now, that this was a place where I used the R7 tool to look at the satellite images. And, and, you know, what's nice about the way that we classify satellite images is, you know, 60 days prior to the image being taken, was it wetter than normal or was it drier than normal? So I was able to look at some dry years, some wet years in the August timeframe around peak biomass and start to determine, well, how much variability was there? And one of the things that we looked at on there was the variability on that field when I looked at the NDVI index would really only move, you know, probably less than 3%. Mm-hmm. And when I look at a 3% variance in, in yield, that's or, or in biomass anyways, it's probably not a huge opportunity for me to verberate anything on that farm. Versus a new farm that has, you know, this this area of high vari- variability with a 5, 6, maybe even a 10, 15% variability in yield. Now, all of a sudden, there's a big opportunity for variable rate. So, so assessing the field's uh, ability to variable rate based on the NDVI index or based on the biomass uh, yield potential map uh, was one of the places that I started. So I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit and go back to your soil sample. You talked about averages, pH, phosphorus, potassium. I mean, those are the three big things we care about. Any specific way that you sampled it that first year that you would say, here's how I need to do it to get the best gauge on it? Or is there any process that you went through to, to get the best known information? You're talking like grid soil sampling? Grid, zone, modified grid. I mean, was there any special formula that Joel did <laughs> to make sure that he had 60 bushel beans the next year. Yeah. So for, for me, you know, grids, zones or modified grids is like Lutherans and Catholics. They're all some form of a religion, I think. Um, you know, I, I it wasn't a huge field. So I, I went out and, and just tried to take a, a, a sample that represented less than two and a half acres. Being that the field didn't have a lot of variability in it, 
it was really hard to establish what a zone was yes. because it was all going to be one zone. And, you know, in parts of the Western, uh, the Western growing regions, you might find uh, an area of the field that's, you know, 30 acres that represents one zone and has a sample. Um, and so, you know, looking at the satellite image, I established that zones, uh, you know, that there wasn't a difference in zones. It was all some form of a silt loam soil with very little slope differences. Uh, and so that's when I decided to just more intensively drop grid soil sample points into it. Mm -hmm. So some things that I run into based on, you know, picking up new ground or having conversations about that is what kind of tillage practice the previous uh, land or renter had been in. Um, because if, if he's banning fertility or stripping fertility, that might accommodate, hey, how, how would you take that sample? Because if you're taking it in the band accidentally or in that zone, you might be pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised, however you do it. Um, so that would be one thing is make sure you look at or know about current tillage practice. But I think your way of assessing, hey, is it going to be a zone or is it not going to be a zone or how much variability you have definitely would dictate how many grid points or samples that I'd put in certain areas. Um, because we can definitely see that if there is some variability, I might want to concentrate some of my grid points around those zones of variability so I can better define them, especially not having a year worth of yield information. I'm trying to go blind into a variable rate fertilizer map. Probably want to get the best uh, soil samples that I can possibly get. The other thing that you mentioned that was very interesting to me is this NDVI index and looking at the percent change. Now, was there any specific image timing that you cared about more than others to look at the index? Um, I'm talking crop stage wise. Was mm -hmm. there more of a timing there that you would say would be better to look at? Or was it just generally compare apples to apples on the same timing from year to year? Yeah, you know, most crops, you know, NDVI or when we specifically do a, a a nested index, which is what the yield potential map winds up being, where there, you know, the, the yield potential map always shows variability. One of the challenges with NDVI is it's a scale from zero to one, and the closer you get towards peak biomass, you get 100% saturation. And so uh, NDVI at peak biomass just looks like a solid green image, doesn't offer the variability. Uh, and so that's why we convert into a, a yield potential map. So yield potential map is already predetermined towards the air, towards the timing in that geography that reaches peak biomass. Now, if I didn't like it or, you know, it was actually uh, a wheat crop that gets harvested midsummer, I could actually go and create a yield potential map in midsummer. Uh, and I, I know in some of the, the regions of the country, they actually, they don't like the default YPM time timelines. They go create a custom YPM. But I, I think that's, that's one of the things is typically imagery, you know, imagery, I would say has a strong correlation to yield, although it's not the only thing, because in between when that image was taken, you know, early August, early to mid-August for, for my growing region specifically, and when the field is harvested, there's a lot of things that can happen between grain, uh, grain loss, uh, stock lodging, on down to a kernel fill, a drought, things like that. So it's, it's, it's an indicator. It's, I, I like to think of this, uh, this little exploration session a little bit the same way that weather forecasters don't just look at one model, they look at four or five models, and then they build an ensemble of most likely scenarios, what they call an ensemble forecast. So a little bit for me, it was gathering multiple pieces of data, trying to compare them and bring an ensemble forecast together for a plan. So with that, I mean, like a lot of times they go, 
how many how many imageries do you need to look at? And is somebody else's imagery better than the next person's imagery? Do we care about that? Yeah, so I, I think that's a good question. Uh, you know, we can access imagery 20 years back. The most recent images are probably the most relevant ones. I tend to not look really beyond 10 years. A little bit I'd be concerned somebody tiled it or made a major, you know, they land graded it in some parts of the country or uh, potentially even they've irrigated it recently. So I I tend to look at more near-term satellite images. And then, you know, the second piece of that is, you know, you asked about image quality. What we talk about in the R7 tool is scientific-grade data. And what that means is the sensor that's on the, the instrument orbiting the Earth at 22,000 miles per hour, okay, that sensor needs to be cross-calibrated to what another sensor says. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we do that's, that's unique in the satellite image uh, business that, is that we cross-calibrate every image back to the gold standard, which is actually the Landsat constellation that the U.S. government puts out. So even if we use the European Space Agency's satellite image, that image has been cross-calibrated back to the, a similar uh, land-based image on, on Landsat so that we can say that the, the difference between a 0.7 NDVI on the European Space Agency was a 0.7 NDVI on Landsats. And I think that's one of the, the things that not all satellite imagery providers do that. And so you can get some some false positives, if you will, uh, where maybe they've got an image that one day looks really saturated and then the next day not as saturated because there's variance in how the sensors collect NDVI. So it's a little bit nerdy on satellite imagery, but, you know, that's one of the things I trust about the R7 tool is, you know, scientific grade data starting out trying to make my decisions versus adding more variability from the quality of imagery I'm looking at. Exactly. I think the the main thing is knowing you have a quality image. Now, how do you go forward with that quality image and make that decision off of it? Yeah. And it becomes a really big deal in change detection, which is one of the things that we're working on in R7 right now, which is, you know, the pendulum from data poor to data rich is swinging as we speak. Mm-hmm. And when we first started this thing, it was like, please, I hope I get a satellite image in, in you know, in the month of April. Well, now all of a sudden it's like, I got 10 this week. Right. And you're getting, you know, one, uh, you know, every in a week, you might be getting five images. So what's the difference? Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, rather than looking at all my fields and starting my morning, we we started by using field monitoring tool, which is using the last couple years of trend lines uh, for how that field was, you know, doing accumulating biomass over the growth stages of the crop. Uh, But now what we're looking at is how to do change detection. And that's one of the places where this scientific grade data really, really is important uh, because one day to the next, or even if the satellite image comes over twice on the same day, which has been known to happen, having two readings is unrealistic that the crop changed in one day. Well, over the course of five days, did the area that was, you know, over-indexing in biomass or under-indexing, getting drouthier or insects, pestilence pressure was increasing, you know, that's where this really becomes a big deal. What was the change relative to the position of the field, that current position? Yep. Yeah, so I think that really puts it into perspective is now you're not just looking at the NDVI scale by the field to look at variability. Now you're kind of stepping back and, okay, we got the field variability nailed down. Let's look at how this field performs against its peers in the area. And that's what field monitoring tool brings in and allows you to assess here's its higher, lower, trending up or trending down. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the other things I did this year and, uh, you know, my, my land renter thought I was a little bit 
crazy on this. I went out and took a tissue sample because, you know, I, I took the soil sample. Uh, you know, I, I know that he planted it in some some pretty decent conditions, but I, I just wanted to assess, you know, what the plant was uptaking. And you know, the tissue sample did two things for me. It gives me an early season snapshot of uh, how the plant was doing on micronutrients, mm-hmm. but it also allowed me to go back and all the assumptions that I had made, you talk about an ensemble forecast, all the assumptions that field forecasting tool had made to that point about fertility, drainage class, soil depth, and all those things can be calibrated by, or ground truth, by me going back out and taking that tissue sample. And, the, and you know, when I use my NutriSolutions app, that data goes to the data, you know, goes to the lab, the lab sends it back to data silo, data silo sends it over to field forecasting tool, and then I can calibrate that. And now, now I have, you know, finally by the time the corn is, is you know, a little over knee high, I feel like I have some some field specific ground truth data. So you have it going from not having any data on the field other than how much I paid for it to having a realistic expectation of what the field can do by knee high. Now I can start to make those in-season adjustments based on, you know, price of corn, price of beans, um, and what the production uh, of the field is capable of. So you started off with a soil sample, putting that in the model, making sure that model was reading out, um, looking at some imagery, placing those sorts of things. But the the important thing is once you get that crop planted, it's not just about saying, okay, it is what it is. Let's run, the th- let's run it through. Let's take, and I would challenge too that maybe it's not just one tissue sample. Maybe it's picking two critical times. In a lot of cases, maybe you go, well, that tissue sample was good for that. That time frame, but now in the last month or three weeks, we've kind of had some more rainfall. I need to reassess and get in there and see what my crop is currently taking, and it allows you to actually go in, recalibrate off of that. And now it's no longer the model predicting where you're at. It's here's the tissue. This is where it's at. Let's let's project out from there. And I think that really brings it back to what's the decision making factor. And any agronomist can make a recommendation of here's what nutrients you need and when. But if you have the prediction of here's the nutrient that's going to give you the yield, here's the return on investment, I think that's the impact or power of the field forecasting tool. Yeah, so I think one of the things that that I saw as an opportunity was uh, there actually started to be, you know, despite the field not having a lot of variance, it did have a slightly better performing area of the field. And so, you know, I think the early days of precision agriculture said, well, you know, treat, get everything to a uniform level so that the whole field yields the same. One of the concepts I was trying to tease out of this particular field was, well, if the whole thing is uniform, there's potential there that the, that the area that shows just a slight bit of opportunity on the upside just has been treated not as well as what it has potential for. And so really trying to tease out that top end potential, you know, my goal was to make the field ununiform. And I think that's one of the areas that when you first enter into a field, that's one of the biggest opportunities is, you know, not necessarily to go and approach the low productivity areas and go, well, you know, this field, this spot drowned out, you know, clearly, you know, we know what to do there. Maybe I don't have the finances to make an investment in tile or fix the the water erosion portion there. Maybe I need some NRCS dollars, um, you know, to, to help figure out some, some land management issues there. But oftentimes the biggest opportunity, I believe, as an agronomist, maybe you can challenge me back here, is in getting an additional 20 bushels out of the best part of the field versus going and getting, you know, five more bushels out of the worst part of the field. 
I think the challenge there is tell me how to do that, figure, figure that out. Because I think it's, it's truly, that's a lot of the times you're looking at that and it's the high pole, the high, the high potential acres that you can capitalize on and probably minimize your cost on the low, but you capitalize and bring in the, re, the return on investment across that entire acre um, with the high pole acres than you would on the, on the low yielding, you kind of know what to do, right? You cut population, cut fertility, or make a management decision to suffice that needs, but it's what are the next things that you do to gain that 20 bushel? So we kind of got off track there a little bit of, hey, this is a newly acre. Now all of a sudden we're talking about highly managed corn acres again. But we started it talking about what the R7 tool can offer as far as an image. But we also made the comment of, hey, it's a combination of answer plot data. And when I think about answer plot data, the first thing that comes to mind too is how do we place and position hybrids to get the best out of that? So kind of thinking about, hey, we got a high potential acre. Now it's about high productivity hybrid to put in that position. So tell us a little bit about how you would use the R7 tool to help us position and place hybrids for a newly managed acre. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple places to start there. Uh, the R7 tool, we, we sort that data out uh, by the production environments that it was produced in. But one of the first places you've got to start is, you know, selecting a hybrid that has performance. And there, there's two criteria here. There's performance, placement, and management. So three criteria. So the performance was, you know, is there a hybrid in my geography using the top 10 that, you know, I can look at uh, some of the surrounding trials on farms near me or answer plots near me? And uh, that was one of the first places is selecting a hybrid that had good performance. The second piece of that was the placement. And this is where, you know, as we sort the data in the answer plots, we sort by rotation, corn on corn, corn on soybeans. Uh, we sort by nitrogen, uh, high nitrogen, low nitrogen. And, you know, that's a, that's a place where, and we sort by soil type and yield environment. And so we, we kind of said, well, I, I think this fits into a medium to high yield environment. This fits definitely on a medium to fine textured soil. It was kind of trending towards that. And I don't use any of the categories as absolute. What I try to do when I use this, the, the characterization trials or the CHT chart and the R7 tool is try to choose the two most likely categories. I really don't like to just choose one because it's, it's too absolute. Uh, and so trying to choose medium to fine soil types, seeing what hybrids did well in there. Uh, and, and that helped me narrow down my choices into what are the hybrids in the top third of the CHT? You, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, two, three hybrids were pretty consistent in high, you know, high, medium, low or high, medium and yield environment inside of this medium and fine soil texture. And, you know, inside of a corn bean rotation, all of a sudden, you know, what was, you know, started out as 40 different options suddenly narrowed down into two or three top picks in there. And at that point, you know, it's a little bit like the all-star team. You know, certainly some of them might be a little better than others, but you're on the all-star team at least. So I try to I, I try for an all-star strategy when I do hybrid selection. So so I feel the same way about it. And one thing that I get from uh, that performance chart of that top ten list is you can you can zoom in and go, hey, 25 miles around me. You might not get as much information, but you can go 50, 100, 150, whatever, a distance around you. And then you can also select the maturity range that you're comfortable in. So I think that's really important is 
versus getting the whole chart of here's all the hybrids. Now let's pick and guess what? Your eyes always go to the top of the list, right? What's the highest yielding hybrid? But if you actually zoom into the data and your geography, it gives you, hey, here's the top two to three, top 10 list of the hybrids I should look at. So when you get to the CHT chart, now you have it in your head of here's the, here's the five hybrids that I think would work on my farm in this maturity, given the geography. Now let's look how they perform. And it's now it's less about a conversation of, let's go to the top of the list and see where they go but let's look at where that hybrid's at and what situation i got to put it in so you might be picking a hybrid that's maybe middle of the list as far as overall yield but given a certain situation corn on corn in a high yield zone with a medium soil type it might be the best performing out of all of them and not even make the top overall yield list so i think you got to pay attention to what geography you're pulling from before you start going to that cht chart and make sure that you're keeping an eye on the hybrids that would fit for that location. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you know is particularly interesting about the the area that I'm that I this piece of land is in is you go five miles south and everybody's got a center pivot. But what's interesting is the soil the the depth of topsoil changes in that. And so you know I may have been selecting for medium to high low or medium to high yield environments, but some of those people who are on those farms that are non irrigated maybe need to be selecting for medium to low yield environments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, along with that, the, the price of that bag of corn changes as well. That I may have just been selecting, you know, it's not, you don't want to just go by price list and go, I'm going to buy the most expensive seed because that's got the best genetics. But you might find that some of those, you know, the hybrids that were, you know, on the overall treatment, you know, a little bit lower yielding, they have a fit somewhere in there. They just might fit some of more my tough acre uh, or my moderate acre fields that don't have the yield potential. Well, I'm not, I might not also put as, as high of price seed on those acres. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely places that that you can go to figure out where you need to place a seed. We talk about the R7 tool, the imagery, the answer plot data, like it's easily accessible because, I mean, we got to log in, we can hit it, get in there. How can how can growers or, or people looking at some of these new acres actually get to it? And I mean, what are some of the steps that are involved there? Yeah. Well, so if you're a grower or an ag retailer, and I always recommend you should never try to be your own agronomist. Uh, it, it's just you, you, you need professional help no matter how much of an ag professional you are. Uh, visit with your local ag retailer. And uh, you can also go to winfieldunited.com and you can learn more about the tools uh, and, and maybe even find a dealer near you that can help you bring some of this, this new land into production and, and help you celebrate uh, the, your new opportunity. So it sounds like you're your own agronomist, though. I, I have I have a friend. I have I have some help. You're an agronomist with an agronomist. No, no, no. I actually consulted uh, somebody who's about six foot five and uh, has been at this a, a, lo- a little bit longer. You might know who he is. Got it. I got the picture in my head now. Uh, so so I think I think that's important. Is all this information is pretty easily accessible, but it's about asking the question to say, hey, this is what I need. How do I get to this point? And at that and then if that conversation comes up, it's going to, it's going to come to these pieces that we've shared with you. Yeah. And I think, you know, we started by talking a little bit about the, the idea of an ensemble forecast, you know, and think about an instrument ensemble, you bring the orchestra together, the woodwinds, the percussion, you know, and the, the reed instruments, you bring those all together to make sweet, sweet music. Uh, and ensemble forecast is the best way that I can think of using ag technology, multiple tools, my ag retail professional all together to get the optimal productivity out of that farm. 
You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. If you enjoyed the show, which if you've been listening this long, you certainly have, please rate us and review us online at your podcast app. For more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com.